You're listening to the EU China podcast powered by the EU China Hub, straight from Brussels, a show on which we interview important actors in the EU China relations and cover the top EU China news. Our mission is to help you to get a more nuanced picture of what is going on in the EU China relations. My name is Greg Stetz and I'm happy to have you with us. If you like our show, don't forget to subscribe and to tell your friends about us. Let's get started. Hi, here comes the EU China news brief for April 6, 2020. In today's news, we cover China's economic recovery, fact or myth, the path forward for businesses in the EU and China, COVID 19 disinformation targeting EU disintegration spreads to the Balkans. Taiwan provides EU with medical aid. Ericsson in China, Huawei in Europe. Orban's rule by decree may accelerate Belgrade Budapest railway project. Enjoy! China's economic recovery, fact or myth? China's economy has been hit hard by the outbreak of COVID-19, with the first quarter of 2020 likely being the first recession in China since 1989, so since comparable data are being recorded. According to official data of the National Bureau of Statistics of China, in the period January to February 2020, in comparison to the same period in 2019, the investment in fixed assets fell down by 24.5%. Importantly, also the retail sales fell by 20.5%, and it is the first decline since the retail sales are being recorded. Aside from that, unemployment rose by 1% between December and February, reaching the highest recorded level of 6.2%. We also gathered more statistics and if you're interested in them, you can see them on our website. The most important point is that Chinese economy seems to be shrinking for the first time since data are being recorded. At the same time, over the last two weeks, we could observe an increased reporting of positive signals about China's economic recovery after COVID-19 lockdown. Government data suggested that 95% of large manufacturers returned to work. Apart from that, Chinese authorities even reported that China's manufacturing expanded in March. But according to Beijing-based strategic advisory company Trivium China, the business activity index in China stabilized at close to 80% of pre-crisis levels. So it appears that the supply shock is over and China now has to deal with the dual demand shock, so limited consumption on both domestic market and foreign markets. Chinese exporters have to face limited demand as European and American consumers are under lockdown. Also domestically, 65% of Chinese consumers plan to limit their spending habits. And that's a big deal because domestic spending in 2019 made up for 58% of China's GDP growth. Local governments of more than 30 provinces and cities plan to stimulate consumption by issuing digital discounts distributed via payment apps such as Alipay and WeChat Pay. In case of Hangzhou, the city where Alibaba has its headquarters, we're talking about 1.68 billion Chinese yuan in small discounts. That's 219 million euros. Chinese government also decreased the bank loan rates by the biggest level since 2015, which may stimulate the economy but increase debt levels. 
but there are many signals that question China's economy's ability to quickly bounce back. For example, independent China economy tracker China Bash Book questions official data and estimates that China's economy performance in March was even worse than in January. Also, China International Capital Corporation, one of China's leading brokerages, slashed its forecast of 2020 GDP growth to 2.7%, far below the official goal of 6%. There were also more signals of such backtracking on the GDP targets, and that shows that Beijing may be rethinking its plans to reach Xi's century goal of reaching a moderately prosperous society in 2021. Also, remember that although China has been through the first wave of COVID-19, the disease is likely to come back in subsequent waves, which Beijing seems to be eager to blame on foreigners living in the country as of now. But there was also one other non-economic event that might show that things are not really back to normal in China, and that's the fact that Gaokao, the nationwide post-high school exam, was postponed to July seventh and eighth by the Ministry of Education, and this is the first time that this happened since the Cultural Revolution. Okay, so what are the takeaways here? It appears the Chinese economy is in for a bumpy ride, and the decision regarding how to deal with the situation is forming right now. It is quite likely that we're going to see an initial overreporting of success, paired with a wide range of actions to stimulate the economy, likely led by the party state. Consequently, China may delay the problems short term, but that will come at a price mid term. Keep in mind the considerable debt the local governments are already in. But what do we do? What should the EU do? In the words of President of the European Union Chamber of Commerce, Jörg Wutke. We should try, quote, not to waste a crisis. This is the time for the EU institutions and member states to actively engage with Chinese partners, suggesting a more liberal stance. This is what Beijing chose in response to most of the economic turmoils it has encountered over the last decades until just recently. So, as much as it is more likely that Xi's China will want to see more. Party-state-led responses. The EU should support the more liberal voices in this discussion, and the effects of those decisions will be felt for years to come. The path forward for the businesses in EU and China. So the situation of EU businesses in China is a mixed one. Production almost matched pre-crisis level, but there is a severe shortage of demand, as outlined in a survey of 294 companies. That was conducted by delegations of German industry and commerce and released on April second, according to the report, which allows us to extrapolate on the situation of other European companies. There is still a very big problem of low demand and sales, and this shows that there is still a long way ahead until normalcy, which is predicted to return by the third quarter of this year. But it seems that the biggest fear of the companies is related to potential extended lockdowns in Europe and North America that could hamper demand. When it comes to the situation of Chinese companies, similarly, Europe's status as the center of the outbreak is worrisome for Chinese companies in the European Union, and they are growing wary of disruptions and uncertainty. According to a survey by the China Chamber of Commerce to the EU. More than 60% of Chinese firms in the EU fear that there will be severe economic consequences even after the health crisis is quelled. 
So the survey added the coronavirus impact to the pre-crisis grievances related to screening measures on FDIs and other logistical operations like obtaining permits or securing credit financing or paying taxes. Nonetheless, more than 50% of Chinese firms indicated in the survey that they are planning to invest 5-20% to more in their EU-based firms. So what are the takeaways here? EU businesses in China may see their short-term issues with demand be solved by the consumption stimulus packages. But the long-term solution is dependent on Europe and North America flattening the curve and relaunching their economies to spur demand from China. This, in turn, will fuel the Chinese economy to allocate more stimulus and generate demand domestically, which could benefit EU firms operating on this market. And when it comes to the situation of Chinese companies in Europe, the status quo in Europe is not clear yet, and this situation, this lack of clarity, has created much uneasiness. The negotiations on corona bonds, or an equivalent of those, will have a bigger impact on what Chinese investors will decide. It seems that, as of now, they're simply going to wait and see, but they still have plans for more investments in Europe. COVID-19 disinformation targeting EU disintegration spreads to the Balkans. A report by the European External Action Services Initiative, EU vs. Disinfo, has shed light on multiple instances of disinformation claiming the EU is crumbling amid the COVID-19 crisis. These narratives spread in Russian and Chinese social media circles reside mostly with their domestic audiences, but behind the mobilization on social media there is a large proportion of bots and fake accounts. Such global disinformation streams portray the EU as weak and lacking solidarity. The news are vastly propagated on Russia Today and Sputnik, which cover extensively Kremlin's aid to Italy. The disinformation also includes issuing false health advice, claiming the virus was made in a laboratory, or that washing hands does not help in maintaining health safety. When it comes to the EU itself, the fake news do not simply target the EU, but rather provide exaggerated praise to Russia and China for their fight against the pandemic, and using the circumstances to claim that Chinese global projects are superior to the ones of the European Union. While both Russia and China rejected the claims that they are behind the propaganda, a report by data company Alchemy, issued for Formist, shows otherwise. The report looks at Twitter posts that highlight Chinese intervention and indicates that up to 46% of the responses to these posts came from bots and fake accounts. Posts that clearly mention Italy and China in hashtags are the ones that are most susceptible. And the disinformation has serious implications even outside of the countries involved, such as Italy in this case. For example, in Slovakia, 55.9% of Slovaks believe that EU is not helping Slovakia enough, while 67% believe that China is. The situation has prompted President von der Leyen to announce on March 31st that the Commission is working with online platforms like Google, Facebook or Twitter to remove misinforming content. But the problems are not within the EU itself, as in the Balkans and in the EU's eastern neighbourhood, disinformation accuses the EU of letting its member states down and betraying its principles. A clear example here is Serbia, where the Serbian president Aleksandr Vucic's harsh discourse on the EU 
have helped the anti-EU narratives to sprung up in Western Balkans. The overarching narrative is that the health crisis is an example of the EU turning its back on the Balkans in the time of need. And in context of that, Serbia has become very present in Chinese social media circles as billboards thanking the PRC and Xi Jinping himself have emerged around Belgrade. The gratitude for Chinese intervention is strictly contrasted in social media discourse against the passive inactivity of the EU, or in some extreme cases, the EU is outright blamed for attempting to facilitate a foreign invasion. To counter the fake news, the Commission pledged 40 million euros as aid to Western Balkan countries. Most of the money will flow into Serbia, around 15 million euros, where other countries will each receive between 3 and 7 million euros. The aid was complemented by another 374 million euros dedicated to helping Balkan economies recover after the health crisis. A further 140 million euros was dedicated to the countries in Eastern partnerships such as Ukraine, Georgia or Moldova. The European Commission also launched a website called Fighting Disinformation, dedicated to dismantling false narratives. So the takeaway here is that as the EU is gearing up to fight COVID-19, disinformation proves to be the digital equivalent of the coronavirus. Ursula von der Leyen's efforts to curb this dynamic are commendable, but they also must break beyond the circle of people who actively follow EU institutions and politicians on social media. As we argued in the last news brief, the EU really needs to step up its game in terms of communication with the wider public. When it comes to the disinformation itself, it seems to be blooming more rapidly in the countries that are harder hit, like Italy or Serbia, which doesn't display dramatic increases in infections, but it is more infected than any of its neighbours. This may point to a coordinated attempt to hit the weak spots of the chain and by promoting alleged European disunity, create a fait accompli. Progress in the negotiations over the Corona bonds, or its equivalent, would be a very strong display of European unity, and it would help counter the disinformation from Russia and China. Similarly, like domestically, the EU can try to improve the marketing of its aid and outreach in the Western Balkans, where the anti-EU sentiments are easier to ignite by external actors. Taiwan provides EU with medical aid. Taiwan offered to donate 7 million masks to EU countries, UK and Switzerland, a move coming amidst the scandal about the poor quality of medical supplies coming from mainland China, which we discussed in the last news brief. President von der Leyen thanked Taiwan over Twitter for the, quote, international solidarity and cooperation, end of quote. This may well be Taiwan's attempt to position itself as a leader in the fight with COVID-19 while attracting, let's say, like-minded countries. Taiwan has been praised for its early action and efficient manner in holding infection rates at low levels. As of April 5th, Taiwan registered only 355 cases and 5 deaths, with 312 of the cases being important instead of being locally transmitted. So Taiwan's response to the virus might be an interesting model for the EU to explore in devising its own response to COVID-19. But it is also, of course, important to see the diplomatic side of all that. So von der Leyen's tweet was a departure from standard policy, which usually preferred to have a low-key approach to relations with Taiwan. 
von der Leyen Post is a shift from that approach. And diplomatically, it can also be a response to the so-called geopolitics of generosity, uh, which we discussed in the last news brief, by mirroring Beijing's call not to politicize mask donations. And this donation was announced just days after an embarrassing call between Radio Television Hong Kong, a Hong Kong broadcaster, and WHO Assistant Director General Bruce Eilward. When asked about Taiwan's potential readmission into the WHO, Eilward pretended not to hear a question, then mimicked poor internet connection by hanging up the video call. This comes just one week after Taiwan accused WHO of lack of communication and cooperation, despite the fact how well it is managing the outbreak. The video call went viral, prompting backlash against excessive influence of mainland China over WHO, while also drawing the Hong Kong Commerce Ministry to criticize Radio Television Hong Kong for challenging the One China principle. Interestingly, despite the sensitive nature of the issue, mainland China did not issue any comeback to the EU. The issue might have been dealt with behind closed doors as already on April 3rd, High Representative Joseph Borrell and Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi spoke over the phone categorizing international solidarity and cooperation as essential, and no statement was made about the EU's response to the donation. So the takeaway here might be that plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. As we discussed last week, the European Parliament, the European External Action Service and the Commission are shifting towards a more assertive rhetoric towards Beijing. Now, von der Leyen seems to be making a statement within the global battle of narratives that we discussed last week and responding very positively to Taiwan's donation potentially not only as a gesture of gratitude, but also as a payback to Beijing's mask diplomacy and also the equipment quality scandals. Using Beijing's own calls not to treat aid as a political statement, Brussels shows its discontent and communicates that it will not remain passive when faced with political discourses attached to aid, while Taipei scores a PR goal. But also take note of Beijing's limited response and the call between Borrell and Wang Yi. It may be that the diplomatic discussion happened behind the closed doors and Beijing just decided to ignore the issue. But similarly like last week we played a numbers game on Beijing's donations, we have to be fair and look at Taiwan's aid through the same lens. So 7 million masks would be sufficient to supply France alone, which we used as an example last week, for a day and a half. So the donation, while greatly appreciated and touching, given the number in comparison to Taiwan's size, will not change the fact that the EU will continue to order vast majority of the supplies from the mainland China. So the member states likely won't do anything that would anger Beijing too much, and cross-strait sensitivities definitely fall into that category. But Taiwan's gesture will definitely attract the attention to its impressive handling of the public health crisis. And its more democratic model of handling the situation may prove very attractive to the EU and its member states as discussions on how to end the lockdowns are continuing. So Taiwan's gesture may draw the attention to its case and may further promote studying the measures it and other democratic communities in East Asia, such as South Korea, have taken to combat COVID-19. Ericsson in China, Huawei in Europe. 
On March 31st, China Mobile, China's leading provider of telecommunication services, closed its massive tender for construction of 232,000 base stations for 5G networks. 57.2% was won by Huawei, 28.7% by ZTE, and 11.4% by Ericsson, which was the only foreign company to receive a piece of the pie. Remaining 2.6% was won by other Chinese providers. On the same day, Mr. Eric Xu, Huawei's rotating chairman, released the company's annual report for 2019, showing that the revenues grew by 19% year-on-year and profits by 6%. Geographically speaking, 59% of the revenues of the company come from China, but 24% are related to Europe. And even though the sales revenue in Europe only grew by 0.7%, the company still managed to achieve good results thanks to its sales of smartphones, which went up by 34%. And at current, around 50% of the company's revenues come exactly from smartphone sales and 34.5% from sales of 5G equipment and 5G equipment sales only grew by 3.8%. And clearly, a lot of hopes were related to Europe, as out of 90s Huawei's 5G contracts, around half is related to Europe. But now, amid outbreak of COVID-19, many auctions of 5G spectrum for network providers are being postponed in Europe. For example, in Austria, Spain, Portugal or France. And this delay may mean that the contracts of Huawei with European network operators are going to be delayed as well. So the takeaway here is to clash those two results together. The limited involvement of European companies in China Mobile's massive tender surely will not encourage Europeans to look with a more favorable eye towards the participation of Chinese companies, namely Huawei, in rolling out their 5G networks. While COVID-19 put everything on hold, it is just a commercial break in a Huawei saga. And in relation to that, we want to recommend two pieces released recently by the Financial Times, which concern Huawei's potential involvement in bigger plans of reinventing the internet along Beijing's idea of cyber sovereignty. The pieces are Inside China's Controversial Mission to Reinvent the Internet and China and Huawei propose reinvention of the internet. Orban's rule by decree can accelerate Belgrade-Budapest railway project. On March 30th, Hungarian parliament approved a bill allowing Prime Minister Viktor Orban to rule by decree officially in response to COVID-19 pandemic. No end time was mentioned in the bill and no elections can take place as long as it is active. Lifting the bill requires a two-thirds vote in the parliament and president's approval, which is unlikely given no elections in sight. Also, a penalty of up to five years in prison for spreading fake news, which are to be interpreted by government, was introduced, and this further raises questions about press freedom in Hungary. So Orban's Budapest has been at odds with Brussels over breaching EU's democratic values, and Hungary is subject to Article 7 proceedings. And since March 2019, Orban's party Fidesz has been suspended within the European People's Party over concerns about Hungarian rule of law and anti-European rhetoric. The recent developments related to the bill that we discussed 
led to renewal of discussion about the expulsion of Fidesz from EPP, and the decision is still being made. But the China angle here is that with the new powers, Orban can move forward with classifying for 10 years the details of the upgrade of the Belgrade-Budapest railway project and also exempt it from selected construction regulations. The project is related to an upgrade of 350 kilometers long railway connection between the capitals of Serbia and Hungary and was supposed to be the showcase of 17 plus 1 China Central and Eastern Europe initiative. Back when it was being decided and the three countries signed related MOUs in December 2014, the initiative was still called 16 plus 1. Construction of the Serbian section started in 2017, but the construction of Hungarian 150 kilometers long section was stalled due to the European Commission's concerns about tender procedures. The revised tender went through in 2019 and the total cost of the project is estimated at around 2.1 billion euros. 85% of it are to come from a loan coming from China's Exim Bank and 15% from the Hungarian state's funding. The winning consortium is partially Hungarian, partially Chinese. Half is owned by representatives of China Rail Corporation and China Railway Electrification Bureau and half owned by RM International controlled by Opus Global. Opus Global, in turn, is linked to Lornik Mesarosh, Orban's ally, whose company could earn revenues of about $1 billion over the five years of construction. And the project has long been criticized by Hungarian opposition over transparency and economic sustainability concerns. So the point where the new powers come in is the fact that Exim Bank loans details have not been made public and can be classified under those proposed legislations. So the takeaway here is that now is the time to keep an eye on China's progress in Hungary. Orban has been pursuing closer ties with Beijing for years, and his newly acquired powers can accelerate building those ties, beyond just Belgrade-Budapest railway deal. At the same time, it will be much harder for investigative journalists to cover such issues. For additional information about Orban's China policy, check out our recent podcast interview with Professor Bogdan Guralczyk on the very topic. But another takeaway related to this issue is not to make the Hungarian case regional. Given the political clout related to potential Fidesz expulsion from EPP, Hungary is going to be closely watched in Brussels, and that can attract attention to the Belgrade-Budapest project and may reignite anxiety over the whole 17 plus 1 China Central and Eastern Europe initiative. And it is going to be important to remember that this is a very specific Hungarian case related to a specific group of interests and not draw conclusions for the whole Central and Eastern European region. In line with this, stay tuned for our upcoming podcast with Richard Turchani, in which we'll discuss the lessons learned from the Sinocek fallout. And that's it for this week. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the EU China podcast. If you want to know more or to get in touch with us, visit our website, which is euchinahubwrittenjointly.com. And if you find this show insightful, be sure to leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. It will help others to get to know about us. 
See you next time.